0: Life in the Land of the Ice and Snow podcast. Today, I have Melanie from Michigan. Yes, thank
1: you for having me. <laughs> if people kind of know where the Upper Peninsula of Michigan is, that's what I call home. So if you were to look at the map of Michigan and go as far north on the map as you can, you'll see a little peninsula that sticks out into Lake Superior. Uh, that's called the Upper Peninsula. So we abbreviate it the U-P, which makes us Upers. Oh, I've heard that term before, but I didn't know why. Yeah, so now you've just met your first Uper. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so, well, a lot of us are Scandinavian in ancestry. And so our language is also influenced by Swedish and Finnish. So we have these long vowels. You know, we don't have the extra vowels, of course, in the alphabet, you know, that's unique to the Scandic right. and Nordic countries, but we do have this long vowel, so we have a very unique accent, and mine's very tame now that I've been living abroad, but It's funny because when I go home now and people will hear me talk, they'll be like, oh, I can hear the Swedish accent. And I'm Um, like, no, you've forgotten what a uper sounds like. Yes. Because it's a lot of like, (laughs) oh, yeah, hey, oh, it's over there. Oh, it's over there. Yeah. Yeah, you betcha. I
0: love it. It's a shame that you lost
1: that. (laughs) I know, a little bit, a little bit. And it doesn't take very long to get it back. You know, all I have to do is be tired and then it comes... (laughs) It comes right back, and I can sit there and listen to my family speak, or friends, or the cute old man that's sitting having his coffee. You know, the same day every morning, and I can listen to him talk. And I'm like, "Oh my gosh, how cute it's the Uper accent?" Because <laughs> I'm away from it so long. And then it dawns on me, like I'm speaking that way now too. Like I've been there long enough, you know, home long enough to to do that. So it yeah, always it's takes fun. a
0: few days or about a week to slip back into your old it accent. Does. Yeah. And- yeah. yeah.
1: And then now it's like I'm there and I say that, oh, uh huh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All the time, you know? So it's, you know, maybe those are what people are catching on to and thinking that I'm speaking, you know, a little bit of the Swedish accent. But it's just, yeah, those are sneaking in instead of saying, yeah, uh huh. It's, oh, yeah,
0: uh-huh. but I think that's kind of the American's view of the Swedish accent is really more of of that type of an accent. Uh, usually, when they're trying to imitate Swedes, they
1: use more of the accent that you had. Right? Yeah, and then you know, people are always familiar with the Swedish chef on, you know, mm-hmm. Sesame Street, you know, the it's kind of like the sing songy, you know, it hey, did it did it did it. So then they expect that out of the Swedish as well. So yeah, it's quite interesting talking, you know, like what are the similarities of our language in the UP and then what are the differences, mm-hmm. being it was influenced by the Swedes.
0: Well you have very graciously invited me to your apartment and uh, that got me thinking about the size of apartments in Sweden, because the first time I came to visit, my husband said that he lived in a studio apartment. And in my idea from watching TV, I was like, oh, it's like one of these New York loft apartments. It's going to be this giant attic. And when we got to his apartment and he opened the door, I burst out laughing. I didn't mean to. (laughs) It's like the size of your walk-in closet. Yes. (laughs) It was so tiny. It was, I believe it was twenty five meters squared. It was one tiny room. Uh The bed was up in the air. In the little tiny bathroom, you could sit on the toilet and wash your hands at the same time. It was just, I had never in my life seen anything that small. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And then we were talking before we started recording and you were telling me that your apartment, which is a a nice two room and very spacious for Sweden, is the same size as of your deck. It is. (laughs) Yeah. And
1: we don't have this big, beautiful, you know, American dream size home, but it's a decent size home. And then because it's situated on a canal, you know, a waterway with the views out the front, then we wanted a big deck. So you put this big deck on it and, you know, you move to Sweden and you start calculating the size of your apartment and all of a sudden you realize our deck is this size. Like that is crazy.
0: Have you had a lot
1: of people visit from the U.S.? We have. It's been, I wouldn't say a lot, but a couple of friends a year, which is pretty good considering. That is good. Yeah, because I find that a lot of Americans don't come to Sweden. You know, they think of like the exotic places like, you know, Spain and Italy or, you know, even France to go to Paris and see the Eiffel Tower. So a lot Mm -hmm. of them haven't traveled to Scandinavia, which I think is also to our benefit because then they want to come here. They want to see a place that they haven't really considered on their own when they make their plans. But because we're living here, Hey, let's go see them. Why not? We haven't been to Scandinavia. So they want to know the differences between... Americans in Sweden, you know, so people that grew up in my hometown and we grow up knowing oh Sweden and Finland are so similar to the UP. <laughs> so it's easy to skip over this part of the world. So then when they make those plans to come, they're just as excited to see the differences between what they grew up with the traditions at home and did they come from Sweden and how close are those traditions.
0: what have your friends and people who come over, what have they noticed that's similar and what shocks
1: them? What's completely different? The most talked about conversation is probably the healthcare and maternity leave like those are the two <laughs> biggest ones that they just envy really i mean they have one idea what it is and then you come they come here and you start talking and you know they see a bunch of guys out pushing prams and they're like there's so many dads you know pushing mm-hmm. prams and you're like yeah they're on pappaledig, so that's their maternity leave time some people
0: who listen don't live in sweden so we should probably explain the generous leave time for parents is it 13 months
1: it's something uh... like that yeah and then each parent has to take it the mother can't take it all in the father can't take it all. Each one has to take at least two to three months. Yeah, I think it was three the, months at the least. Mm-hmm. Otherwise,
0: you can do it however you like.
1: Yeah, and you don't have to take it all as well. So you can take you, you can know a percentage of it, and then yeah, you can spread it out as the children get older.
0: People ask how this works. The thing is, is that we pay very high taxes. But we see where that money goes. That's why I never mind paying such high taxes on my salary because I'm getting free health care. I never have to worry about college for my kids. It's all free for everybody. You can also take off as long as you like. If there's a sickness in the family, like your child gets very ill. And the same thing for yourself if you're ill for a long amount of time. I've told a lot of Swedes that this is not the same way in the States. For a lot of my friends who work, they get maybe five sick days a year, and every Swedish person laughs, and they're like, but how do you know you're only going to be sick five days? <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's impossible. <laughs> and it's the same with vacation over there, right. about the same. Right. And unfortunately, I have I found out a lot of people in the U.S. have to take vacation days when their kid is sick right. or sometimes yeah. when, when they're sick themselves because mm-hmm. they've
1: run out of sick days. Yeah. So it's so refreshing to not have to worry about that here. And it, there's an ease about it. So, you know, like for me being, I don't have the children, but- I have had to use the healthcare system, I can appreciate the fact that I don't have to worry whether or not I should go in, like what my co-pays might be. The asthma testing I've had is not an, an additional cost. So the lab work is all included. You know, those little things that you get upcharged for in the States aren't there.
0: And you don't hesitate to no, go in if no. you're worried about something.
1: You know, I had a non-life-threatening major surgery a couple of years ago and you know, I went in and I had my consultation, and within two months, easily in and out of surgery, I paid $8. And that was because of the food. So yes. the hospital contracts <laughs> their food out. So the subcontractor wanted me to pay for the food, and it was $8. But mm-hmm. everything else with that visit was covered because I hit that copay you talked about. So the waiting time wasn't bad. The surgery was done fantastic. You know, I felt comfortable with my doctors knowing that if I just go in, it's, yeah, it's there for me. So then going back, that's what we ended up talking about about the most with friends and, and coming here outside of those types of adult conversations then it's more like what are the foods like uh-huh. can, can I try that liver pate in a tube and the caviar <laughs> and things that they think are super strange you know yet in America, we'll eat cheese out of a tube, you know, and that's okay. But why why is it that liver pate out of a tube is just so bizarre? They like the meatballs and potatoes, which is very popular or very common in the U.S. or in the UP as well. So that wasn't so so strange for them. And then outside of the foods, I think everybody else really just likes the culture and the architecture. You know, you bring them to Gamlestan oh. and it's just beautiful. The buildings, you know, the cobblestone streets, the fact that they're narrow, they're from the 1500s. It's for stunning me,
0: for me. Just coming from the U.S., it takes a while with all the beautiful architecture here, and especially in the old towns of any of these cities, because in my head it feels like a trip to
1: Epcot Center. Yeah, exactly. I was just going to think of the same thing. As I was yeah. like, I wonder if I should mention the Epcot Center because it is, and and family come and they're like, wow, this is like the real Epcot Center. Yes. And you're like, why? Like, why do we have to keep comparing it to Disney World? But I mean, I guess credit to Disney World, they've done a good job. Yes. But, but it is that strange feeling—you pinch yourself and you're like, wow. This is my backyard. (laughs) Yeah, now the Christmas markets are starting. There was an American friend of mine who came to visit, so we went out for fika under the chestnut tree. Uh, This time of year, it was still beautiful, but we were inside, and they've often got a lot of gluten-free treats there. Uh, And then, yeah, coffee's always been good. But, you know, we were down there, and he came into the city to Christmas shop. And so the Christmas markets were going up, so it was quite exciting. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to going
0: For people who don't live here, it's a nice old tradition in almost all of the big European cities. It's usually people with small booths selling crafts or special food. They're often in folk costumes. Wherever you go, they'll sell the spiced wine, non-alcoholic, all the Christmas treats uh, they have. Just like at an old carnival, they'll have where you can spin the wheel and win some chocolate. It's just such a nice thing to get you in the mood. I it think, is, yeah. I think Christmas.
1: it's it's great whether I have company or not. We've gone down there and some years. We've taken our little travel thermos and, you know, you buy your globe, you put it in there so it stays warm. That's right. And then you just kind of go up and down the markets. And it's a lot about the shopping and just seeing all the homemade crafts and sampling things, glass-blown Christmas ornaments, meats from the north, you know, reindeer, moose, and things that we don't typically eat in the States and then also just to go to people watch. It's
0: just such a nice atmosphere. Sometimes I'll have a little uh, band playing music mm-hmm. or somebody on guitar. My kids, they um, they know that it's a prime location to go and sing for money. So <laughs>
1: <laughs> They'll usually... Uh, entrepreneurs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because
0: I'll, I always say, I'll buy you one treat at the Christmas market. And then later, if they want another treat, I'll say, well, you have to pay for that yourself. And I swear they will go off to the side. They will sing. They go to music school. So they're good singers. They'll sing for 10 minutes and they'll get up to 200 crowns yeah. because, oh, people just love Christmas songs when oh, it's sung yeah. by children at the yeah. Christmas market. And they try it
1: other times a year, it does not go so no. well. one of the hardest things for me here is breaking that barrier of uh, maybe friendships or even just communication because I am a very bubbly, outgoing individual. So I can go up to a suite and I can ask a question and they just, uh, and they just walk <laughs> away and you're like, oh... Okay, well, I didn't get the answer. So then you ask someone else and they're you know, they also kind of either not ignore you, but you can tell that they're just a little bit uncomfortable and they walk away. And then I feel like I walk into a situation oftentimes where I can be in a grocery store and someone's in line ahead of me and the little girl... Put something on the belt, and she'll be looking at me. And mom will look at me and be like, Oh, I had one of those as a child. And she just looks at me and turns around and keeps putting the stuff on the belt. And I'm like, I guess that conversation's not going anywhere. I think they're looking at three things it's like, okay, either you're foreign,
0: or you're drunk,
1: or you're a crazy person. <laughs> He might not be that far off, but it can be hard because I often wonder, well, if I would have said that in Swedish, would they have responded any differently? Or is it just a societal thing? I am from the Midwest and we are known for our generosity and being outgoing. So... I know that a lot of Nordics and, you know, in our home area, it's kind of a stereotype that the Finns are very quiet. In fact, there's a joke that how do you tell a Swede from a Finn? And when you talk to a Swede, a Swede will look at your shoes. And when you talk to a Finn, the Finn will look at his shoes. So, (laughs) you know, I I was kind of aware of this quiet tendency or this reserve tendency before coming. And I figured, okay, that's fine. You know, people are reserved. And then you move here and you're like, wow, okay. It can be quite difficult to kind of break that barrier. I think my first day going to the nanny job my first year I was on the bus and I was like maybe I can meet this network of nannies you know there's all these girls on the bus with these kids after picking them up from school so I'm standing there with the kids and I'm hanging on to the rail and this one girl walks in and she hangs on the same handrail so I was like oh are you a nanny too and she's like she looks at me and she's like no <laughs> and then she goes back to the kids and I knew she was the nanny so I was like oh well I guess I'm not gonna make nanny friends <laughs> And that's still kind of where I struggle a little bit. I think the other like societal things here, I've, yeah, come to love and appreciate them. And I feel like I have my place, but the communications or just getting involved in like community things has been my hardest area to kind of break through. It's kind of a shame because I feel like, well, shoot, if I would just kind of spend the time maybe to actually get more of the language down, maybe those situations wouldn't be there Mm -hmm. because they have kind of, prevented me from joining organizations. You know, my husband and I are huge mountain bikers and we live right here just outside of the Naka Reserve and there's beautiful trails and we bike together all the time. Mm -hmm. And I'll see groups out biking and I'm so intimidated to join them because then I'm gonna be that one American. And then I'm asking everybody else to speak English. And a Swede will tell you, no, it's okay. You know, we, we're all great with English. Like, it's, it's not a problem.
0: But you feel bad. But you feel bad. bad.
1: Yep. And then you go and you don't expect it to switch into English. But when it doesn't and it, the conversations can happen just fast enough, you can miss little things. And then you're that person that's like, oh, well, they were asking you to do this. And you're like, oh, I'm so sorry. I missed that. I knew it was... In the general vicinity of that conversation, but I'm sorry I missed it, you know? And so it's just enough for me to be like, oh, okay, I'll learn Swedish first and then I'll do these things. Mm -hmm. And it's, yeah, that's the hard thing. Otherwise you feel like
0: you're inconveniencing people Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. that you're you're making something difficult knowing that you're the outsiders. We have uh, friends over and they're usually so nice. A lot of them will switch and they'll all start talking in English, which Mm -hmm. is so polite of them. But the funny thing is, if I leave the room to go to the bathroom, sometimes I come back and they're still speaking English, even though they're all Swedish (laughs) at the table. And I'll usually pop my head in and go, you know, you can switch back.
1: (laughs) Yeah. This past year was the first maybe breakthrough for me where I actually put myself out there and I joined a women's travel weekend. So there's a company called Adventure Stories, and I found them on Instagram. And it's a couple of girls, three girls, who started this business of encouraging women to get outside. So these girls got together and wanted to not only have these amazing experience, but also to educate a little bit and make women feel empowered to do these things. And so I've been following them on Instagram. I'm like, oh, I want to do that. So I contacted Adventure Stories and I asked them like, you know, I know, you know, it's a Swedish group, you know, would you consider having me along, even though I don't speak strong Swedish. And they wrote back like, you know, we would love to, but unfortunately we don't have any English speaking trips. So it kind of validated that feeling like, oh no, it's because you know I I can't speak so it's yeah it's it's like validated the fact like yeah there's probably those other groups too like that's how the mountain bikers would feel and that's how blah 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 would feel so I was kind of disappointed but I kept following them I kept up on the social media and I realized that maybe a month or so before their trip was coming due there were still two spots open so I reached out again because I I really wanted to do this and I was like you know I I contacted you a couple months ago about joining your adventure And again, I don't speak Swedish, but I'm very outgoing. I'm very friendly. I'm just as happy to sit somewhere and either participate or not. You know, like I, I I just would really like to be a part of your group. And so she said, absolutely. So then I went and it was amazing because everyone for the most part is stuck in Swedish. Which, again, I appreciate. And then every once in a while, someone said, did you get that? You know, there was one gal in particular who was a little bit uncomfortable with it. So she was straight out right in the front and said, she like, oh, I, my English isn't good. And, you know, I feel kind of silly about it. And I was like, you know, then we take everything in Swedish it's totally fine. And we had this life coaching session. So to sit there and not totally understand was a little bit tough for me, but they were so sweet in return that every time they felt something was really important, they would include me in it. And to be honest, I understood more Swedish than I thought. In the end, I probably interacted with that woman more than anyone else on the group. And we still, you know, kind of loosely keep touch on social media. So it's been kind of amazing because it went from this Oh, I'm just going to try it. I'm going to put myself out there. I probably won't fit in. It's going to be a little bit scary. I'm going to feel excluded to like going and then having everyone else in the group kind of just really welcome me and say, Oh, it was great. You know, even though it was English, it was just amazing. We loved having you there. It's kind of spurred me on to try other opportunities now to get out there and to join groups and start doing the things that I miss when mm-hmm. I'm living in a city.
0: we were talking about the snow or lack of it and that brings me to another thing that i really wanted to talk to you about it's that you are entering a competition for fiel yeah for
1: dog sledding for dog sledding so yes please tell me all about this oh man i am going to get really excited on you now i have been applying now for the last 4 years Fjällräven, for those who don't know, is this really amazing eco-minded clothing company founded here in Sweden. Their
0: backpacks are very popular. Yeah, yeah. You probably see them all over the world. Exactly,
1: yeah. They're the colorful backpacks. They've got the little Fox logo on them. So, yeah, they've become this very, you know, well-known international brand and, and for right reasons. I mean, they not only make great clothing, but they're putting together these events. And so what they do now is they have hiking classics, As they call them. So they go to different countries. It started with the one up in Sweden, you know, the King's Trail up north here in Sweden. And then they started the US one, oh, I would have to check it, two or three years ago now. And then they were in Hong Kong and Malaysia. So they're growing with the classics. And then they have this dog sledding competition. I came upon it because I had bought a jacket. When I first moved here in Sweden, so I went to the Nature Company, which is a sporting goods store here, and I was looking through the coats and I came across the one with the cute little fox logo, and I have to be a girl and say, and just come out and admit it, I thought it was cute. (laughs) You know, like, here's this adorable little fox on the sleeve. And so I tried on a couple of their coats and fell in love with one and purchased the coat, went home, and found them on social media And I came across the Fjallraven Polar and it was this dog sledding expedition that they run every April. So in November months, what they asked you to do is they have a competition where you have to get the most votes on social media. So they've set it up so that the 10 regions in the world with the predominant markets, they'll choose two people from each region. And the first spot is chosen by that one getting the most votes on social media or on Facebook.
0: And you have to make a video to apply and upload it. They heavily
1: suggest a video, yeah. So they have an application process online, and you kind of just fill it in. It's a quick little bio, maybe some skills and talents that you feel you could contribute to the group. And then pictures and or a movie. I was going
0: to ask you, have you done dog sledding before?
1: I've been on the back of a dog sled, Mm -hmm. but nothing at speed. So if we were to go back before even realizing about the competition, uh, back in 2013, I volunteered at a dog sled race in our hometown. So I ski patrolled for 12 years. When you patrol in a small area, you end up doing a lot of volunteering in different events. And so this was one of them. And that particular year, I wanted to to be a dog handler. You know, the years before, I had always done traffic control, safety, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So I signed up to volunteer as a dog handler and it was amazing. I mean, as soon as I had held that first line of dogs, I was hooked. I mean, it was like... You know, it just pulled at the heartstrings because here are these amazing little athletes just barking away, super (laughs) excited to run. And, you know, I'm a farm girl. I grew up with animals. We had dogs. And I played in a lot of sports and stuff. And here was an activity I wasn't familiar with at all. I hadn't gone to any other dog sled races, which is strange. I mean, you know, we come from an area where we get a lot of snow. You know, two hours from home, there's a really big race, the UP200. And now this one, the Copper Dog 150, it was new that year, but now every year since it's been gathering a lot of, lot of interest. So the grandchildren of the Iditarod founders come and run the race now. And it's just this amazing race put together by a bunch of volunteers And so I went out there. I was holding that string of dogs, and like, wow, I just got to do this for myself. And so I talked to my husband after the event was over, and I was like, you know what, we should do for Christmas is instead of buying gifts to give to my my nieces and nephews, maybe we can get them to go over to one of the mushers and do some dog sledding. So I contacted Tom Bauer and his wife, and I asked them if we could come out and do a tour. And he said, absolutely. So as a Christmas gift, then we told my brother's kids that this is what we're going to do. And they were super excited.
0: It's wonderful, uh, especially with these experience
1: type gifts. Yeah. And it really exceeded my expectations because Tom had us come in. He had us hook up the dogs or had the kids hook up the dogs. And then he took them around once. And then he's like, you want to get on and try it? And it's like, sure. Wow. Like you know, gee and so, Ha? Huh? like what, what are those
0: directions? <laughs> yes, please explain, because I know nothing. How do you, How do
1: you do this? How do you keep your balance? How do you get the dogs to do? What? You know, I have to be honest, I don't really know. <laughs> so I was on the back of the sled, but it was a pre-made track around the field, so it was mm-hmm. one trail. It was a lot of snow, it was well below zero, the dogs were punching through, so it was like really slow. So that was my experience with dog sledding. I mean, it was still enough to really fire me up. Uh, So then the following year we did the exact same thing and instead of going to Tom's place, we had him come over to my parents. So I grew up on a farm, like I had mentioned. So my husband and I went out two days prior. We stomped down a trail in snowshoes. We asked our friend Mark to come down with his snowmobile. He ran the snowmobile. Mm-hmm. We got like 10 inches overnight or something. So we had to go out and snowshoot again oh, no. just to set the trail. <laughs> but that particular year, then what I wanted to do is more of a fundraiser for him. Not only have my family come and enjoy the dog sledding, but why not invite friends as well? And then just ask them to pitch in a little bit of money. We had, oh, I don't know, 15 kids out there maybe, which was really great. And it was fun. You know, you put a pot of chili on, some hot chocolate you know, I was organizing it all. So the sleds are going out and the kids are laughing and they're rolling in the snow. And, you know, it was just really cool. And then I knew I was helping him out because his dream is to get to the Iditarod. It takes place in Alaska. It takes place in Alaska. Yep. Hundreds of miles. Yeah. Many days long. It's a stage race, meaning that you, you race and then you can kind of loosely determine when you want to stop, you know, when your dogs need the rest. And Mm -hmm. then they have mandatory checkpoints and mandatory stops in some locations. And I want to go. I would love to Oh, volunteer yeah. up there and just the sheer size of the event um, would be amazing. So for me, you know, I'm kinda hoping that maybe the Field Raven Polar would would help me kind of get a start and give me a chance to try it and maybe to encourage other people to, to not only try dog sledding, but why not try some of the other field Raven activities, you know, whether it's the hiking or the sledding, you know, they give you the dog sledding of course, in the winter training and stuff, which is amazing because those are skills that you can take with you, but you're doing them with other people from other countries. So you're working together and you're maybe solving problems together. So how you might do something might not be how someone else does something. And it's a very inclusive activity. Okay that Fail Ravens put together. And I think I really admire that part about it is it's it's connecting people with each other and it's connecting them with the outdoors. When this comes out, I'll put a link uh, on amazing. the webpage so people can check
0: out your video. Yeah. And if they want and to, vote. yes, it yeah. would be very helpful to vote <laughs> to get you on. And, yeah. and if you get on it, then we'll have a follow-up.
1: And this year I'm, I'm doing something unique where I'm pairing up with Make-A-Wish. Mm-hmm. And I say pairing up in that I started a Make-A-Wish campaign. So I've got a website. I got some verbal commitments this summer from some donors to, to help me match my votes. And the idea behind that is that I have tried for four years and I've spilled my heart out. What I decided this year I was going to do with the Make-A-Wish is I'm going to support someone else's dream. So even if I fall short of the votes, I've helped somebody else. Do you have any tips for anywhere in Sweden? Yeah, if I had something, I know like we talked about the markets in Gamla Stan; those ones are great. But also in a lot of the other areas, you know, Uppsala, Eskostuna, Skansen. Of course, it's like the open air museum here. They've um, taken
0: old buildings from different regions of Sweden mm-hmm. and set them up all in this park, and they explain to you how these people would have lived, so you get the whole experience. Yep. And then on the other half of the park is my favorite part—the animals, <laughs> which is yeah. <laughs> The animals that are
1: native to Sweden. Yeah. So um, I think that would be a great, like it's great to visit any time of the year, but Christmas time is amazing because again, they have all the markets and you get the globe and you have mm-hmm. the little like gingerbread, gingerbread cookies that are like <laughs> super flat and crispy here. I remember the first time I made uh, gingerbread cookies for my nanny family. They mm-hmm. were the American style, very puffy. You know, you put the little smiley face on and little buttons down the front and they didn't like them. They were too soft and chewy. They liked the, <laughs> the Swedish way, you know, yes, it's they were no, and they didn't like the sugar cookies either. So, yeah, yeah, go, yeah, go there this time of year. I think it would be, yeah, really pretty it's to do that. cheaper in the winter, too, than it is uh-huh. in the summer. Yeah. So, it's,
0: it's great if, especially if you have people visiting yeah. Stockholm this time of year, it's a mm-hmm. wonderful place to take people just mm-hmm. to get this old Swedish Christmas feeling. Yeah. Plus, you can see reindeer, which
1: is also very yeah. Christmassy. Yeah, and then go for a, a yule board, like the Christmas smorgasbord. Yes. So, they
0: are available. Everywhere, yeah. all uh, almost all the restaurants advertise this. They start advertising this almost at the end of August for the Yule board, so it's all with Christmas food, yep. which in Sweden would be meatballs. All different kinds of sausages. Prince Korf, that's one. Um, The sill.
1: All of the different herrings. Of course, the pickled herring. I know, but I love those. No comment. I'm almost (laughs) Swedish. (laughs) And the ham. They do the ham as well. What is it? Janssen's
0: Temptation with the... um, It's a potato dish with sardines in it. Yeah. It's
1: kind of like the and potatoes, but it has the sardines in it.
0: (laughs) Except for they threw some fish in it. (laughs) Yeah. How can we make this better? (laughs) In most companies in Sweden, almost every company does a Yule board yeah. with their company. So that becomes a tradition yeah, a very, too, yeah, that you always tradition. go with work.
1: So yeah, there's a lot of good ones around. We went to Rokkeriet, okay, which is on, it's like the first island in the archipelago. As you head out of uh, and... a whole minute? Yes, thank you. Yeah, so what we've done is we've gone out to the Rok Rietz. and you know if you buy their yule board, it includes the boat ride as well, the the cost of the ferry mm. back and forth. So it's kind of a fun way to do a yule board because you get the ferry ride, so you get to see downtown. You go in, it's all smoked uh, meats and stuff, so it's a little bit different than typical yule boards, but you know it's been really delicious. We've done that one a couple of times, especially with friends, because guaranteed a good yule board, just the whole experience of going on the boat. Mm -hmm. You know, a little cozy interior, you do the schnapps and the singing a little bit. It's a fairly short
0: trip on the boat with 20,
1: 30 minutes. Yeah. Um, it's a little bit different than just going somewhere in the city. So yeah, check that out as well.
0: Wonderful. Well, so, thank you so much no, for being No, thank on. you. Yeah, um, it was
1: great. We'll definitely
0: have to catch up on this dog sledding yeah, so thing vote, and
1: see what happens. So vote on December 13th. The more views and the more people that it reaches and the more people that vote, of course, it helps me secure a spot on the team, but it also raises more money. Thank you for having me on. It was amazing. And thank
0: you for inviting me <laughs> into oh, your Oh, absolutely. Home. Come back. <laughs> All right. Bye.